Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hi, welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. I'm Rabbi Iggy out of the Chuba Center. Thank you for joining us. Chag Sameach. Today is Chanukah. So, of course, I want to talk a little bit about Chanukah and about light and darkness. In recovery, we often talk about the two of those and how important it is to acknowledge both of those parts within ourselves and, of course, within the world and how we see it. Darkness, of course, can be thick and menacing. It can create a place around us that seems infinite and hopeless. I think many of us have felt this way in our lives. I remind myself many times that it only takes one light, one flame to illuminate that particular darkness. And whether it's me who is the flame or somebody else, or even perhaps the divine that is the flame, it takes me that notion to lean towards that light and hope. As always, small things make big things happen. A small light can light dark darkness. So I think many people feel darkness, especially in winter and as winter sets in and what's going on in the world. But I want to talk about light as well. In Proverbs uh, 2028, there's a verse that I've always found interesting. In Hebrew it goes, the candle of God is the soul of man, revealing all his inmost parts. If you will, some translate as the life breath of man is the lamp of the Lord, revealing all his inmost parts. Our soul, the force that makes us who we are, who we want to be, that inspiring source of life within us is the candle of light for God. Is that candle for God? For God, we are the light with our infinite ability to transcend, perhaps. I always think about Shakespeare uh, as he writes in Hamlet. What a piece of work is man, how noble in reason. How infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. He does continue, and yet, as does our verse in proverb, revealing that not just the candle of light and the soul and God, but it is revealing all his inmost parts. You see, the two parts are bound together, the two parts of the verse. Being a light, kindling a light, leads to revealing our innermost parts. That work, our work, our inner work, our recovery. We must be diligent in that work if we want to have greater meaning in our life, if we want to feel deeper happiness, more contentment, more recovery, more in general. Chanukah, this festival of light, has deep meaning for me on that level, on many levels, in fact. Its historical significance as a holiday commemorates uh, a battle of cultures, and still that battle rages on today. 
So for those who need a quick reminder about um, Hanukkah and its uh, historical origins, if you will, uh, right? It is a holiday celebrating the victory of the Maccabees and Hasmoneans uh, over the Greek rule. Uh, and this is the creation of the temple. Uh, this is back in around 138 uh, before the Common Era. The temple then is in need of being purified because the Greeks have defiled it. And the menorah in it has to be lit with pure olive oil. Since it would take a few days to produce some of the olive oil that is pure enough to light this menorah, um, and they only find one little can of oil that can be used to light this menorah, they use it. And lo and behold, by miracle, of course, we are told that it lasted for eight days. Those eight days of miracles, uh, the eight days that it took for them to produce more oil, those eight days of miracles and gratitude are the days of Hanukkah, which we now celebrate by lighting a dedicated menorah uh, on our own. This menorah is called the Hanukkiah, right, for Hanukkah. Uh, as a side note, I would say, right, sort of that um, the menorah in the temple did not have eight candles. Uh, the Hanukkiah one has because of the eight days. Um, and they're not the same thing, a menorah and a Hanukkiah, even though in America and uh, parts of the Western world, it's still confused um, the menorah and the, and the Hanukkiah. So, for example, in Israel, the Hanukkiah is just the thing we light for Hanukkah. The menorah is the candelabra representing the one that we had at the temple. And if you ever go to the Knesset in Jerusalem, there's a replica across uh, the Knesset of it. And it appears, of course, that menorah appears on the Titus Gate. And it is different, of course, than the um, Hanukkiah. The Greek traditions of hedonism, worship of the intellect, pleasure, and ideals that are human-centric clash with the divine-centric spirituality, community practices of the Jews at the time, as we're told, of course. The fight of influence in many ways still goes on. We still try and figure out what parts of culture outside of our community we accept, how much of it we embrace, how much of it we make our own, how much traction do we uh, get in trying to buffer and perhaps repel the ideas of hedonism and self-worship and um, all these Greek ideals, if you will. Um, when we do that, when we try and repel, when we try to accept to see, right, we, we do have to make a choice of uh, what we lose and how, and how we pay for it and what we keep and what cost. And, and I'll get back to that towards the end of this particular episode. But the other element of this holiday, right, this tension, of course, between spirit and force and human force, between action and intention. We are constantly in that fight, in that tension. Uh, we mean well at times, but we lack sometimes the ability to move or take action towards what we really want. The things we say we want, we want to have more meaning, more happiness, more recovery, stronger recovery. It makes me think of the things that we have to examine, things that we must look at, at ourselves, our innermost selves. Light a candle in the darkness of ourselves to find out who we want to be and what's really stopping us from it. There are a few points to consider when we look at that motivation, our distraction, the lies we tell ourselves and how we think of our experience of the world. And Hanukkah in many ways for me is a great way to sort of look at those um, through this light of the candle. First, I think we 
have to examine our senses, um, right? Our five senses and, and pleasure, the way we experience the world. Uh, perhaps even our addictions to feeling good. We want to feel good all the time. We don't want to feel bad or not good. And yet life has pain and life, of course, uh, has a lot of different challenges. But our obsession with feeling good can be very clouding to our judgment, can lead us in the path that is not good for us and, and can really obscure things we want to see. It stops us from considering pain as part of our existence. We try to avoid it very, very quickly. We cherish feeling good, eating good food, seeing beautiful things. We want things to be beautiful and feeling good all the time. And that's great. But we lose track sometimes that sort of life is not always that. And, and it's okay to go through it. We don't always have to paint over it or, or, or use our senses to either right, eat our feelings or, or make everything okay, uh, make everything more beautiful, more palatable. Um, for example, right, we somehow believe that feeling hungry is a bad thing. Hunger is part of the world and it's okay to be hungry. That pain, right, that discomfort, if you will, allows us to see ourselves in the world. That discomfort is a great tool sometimes. It allows us to see that um, not everything is solved immediately. Some things have to be worked through. We can't really appreciate food, and I think a lot of people don't, unless you're hungry. We fill our days with snacks, if you will. So the moment of clarity that we get when we face a challenge and our attempts or my attempts to teach all of us and myself that we can be in that, to make peace with hunger, to make peace with some discomfort, helps us choose the right response, help us choose the right nutrient, and perhaps not the sweetest or the most pleasurable. We also then have to think about our aversions. Right? We often say, I don't like this. Our judgment of our world, putting ourselves at the center of that experience, right? our aversion for pain, our dislikes, they prevent us from seeing opportunities that are perhaps good for us or that perhaps we have to consider. Uh, these aversions prevent us from moving forward in the world. We somehow think it's our job to avoid things we think we don't like, right? Or allow those to stop us. It creates an illusion of the self-care, right? We, we, we lie to ourselves. See, it's not self-care, I believe, if you use it to stop yourself from growing. It may, it may feel good, but like I said, it's not good for us at many times. And when we say, I don't like this, and when we hold on to these aversions, we really miss chances to learn or to see or to grow or to experience something that we wouldn't. Some of us feel like we lack, of course, the ability to move, to get up, to do. We feel heavy, bloated, full, perhaps even bored. We feel trapped sometimes in a golden cage even. But we are really just imprisoned by our own mind. When we feel this way, we must ask ourselves, why? It's hard when we are in the state to feel that anyone cares, that our existence matters, that we have value 
So we sink into the sofa or the bed or our work and we perhaps live on automatic, unable to connect, reflect, see beauty or anything that inspires us. We get stuck. We think to ourselves, I can't do this or this won't work. We have negative self-talk and we allow misery to set in and we dwell in it. We wrap ourselves with it like a blanket and much like the well i don't like this perhaps you don't but you have to allow yourself to think maybe i've changed maybe i do um do i really not like it or do i think i not like it or why is it that i don't like it is it because it makes me feel something or perhaps i need to really examine that again some of us live in the opposite way. We are restless. We can't sit still. Can't be with our thoughts. We won't commit to a discipline. We have to buzz around, move around, change. We can't face ourselves in that moments of stillness. Look in the mirror. We are addicted to drama. We produce drama. We, we care about drama. The gossip excites us. The drama excites us. Even though we say, of course, that we don't, right? When we created um, so many people who say, well, I hate drama, I avoid drama. If you have to really say it, that probably means the sort of you create it. And I often find that those who say that uh, or say that they hate drama are many times the cause of it. We feel sometimes in that and and it can be part of a personality, but it can also be something that we all just feel with that movement, with that buzzing, that the anxiety, right, which is always worrying about the future, never about now, right? Anxiety is something that if we observe, we're able to dissipate something. But anxiety almost always means that I'm worrying about something that's going to happen. But it's not happening right now. You're okay right now. Or, of course, people who are uh, feeling shame and guilt about a past, something happened in the past, something they've done in the past. So because we don't want to think about the past and we don't want to continuously worry about the future, we create a lot of movement within the day-to-day -day so that we don't have to think about either. There's a way to surpass, bypass, if you will, actually is a better example of ourselves. But it is not a discipline and it is not a way of life and it is exhausting and it is inefficient and it makes us more miserable. Through all these aspects, we can evaluate which one we want to work on. Through all these aspects that I just went through, we have to ask ourselves, where are we with them? Because those will help us to focus our energy. Which of them is stopping us? from using our will and our grit to grow and become better, which of them do not? Um, doubt, asking yourself, is good. Not sure. Being in that question mode rather than an answer mode allows us to examine our motivation. Why you are where you are. Why you are not doing what you want to be doing. It examines our motivation, our path, and our reality that we don't get stuck. It allows us to ask ourselves, what do I need to move forward? 
it asks us, who are you? And what do you want to do? How do you want to face the world? What ritual have you committed to? What practice have you committed to? Like with Hanukkah and the candles we light, when we light each one of those candles within our inner darkness or the world darkness, we can choose each day, we can use these eight days to be stronger, bolder, braver. For me, Hanukkah is that reminder to light that candle every day and ask myself, what do I want to start or to achieve? Who can I rely on for support? Who do I need to not engage with because they tear my ideas down or don't support me? What can I contribute to the world, to my family, to myself? If we don't forge a path towards light and growth, if we don't traverse the darkness with these candles, with these light, with being the light, we can lose our way. The goals we have set would in fact diminish. The people we want to become, it will be harder to get there. And this festival of light is a great reminder that in this darkness, in this moment of cold, we can in fact do it. There is a chance to win. Spirit, ideas, perseverance can win in spite of perhaps great odds, as long as you don't allow yourself to wallow in those things that I was talking about and those ways that sort of just stop you from being who you are. As always, of course, tshuva is the answer. To repent and let go of the past, let go of the shame and the guilt, the first translation of tshuva, repent, to forgive ourselves and build on it forward, right? We use that to forgive ourselves. I highly recommend the journaling tool that we produced and the prayer for self-forgiveness that we've created for it is the first aspect. To seek response to questions that matter to you. Response is the second transition of tshuva, right? To find people that inspire you people you can have real conversation with. That is the response. Find a spiritual advisor. We do offer those as well. You can email us. To seek to respond to life rather than just to react to it. You see, spirituality, of course, is the space we create between what we're feeling and the immediate reaction we want for it. I feel bad, therefore I want to have a drink or drugs or food or whatever it is. I want to fix that feeling. I don't want to feel, like we said before, that feeling of pain or awkwardness. Immediately, I want a reaction. It's not, there's no thought. But spirituality allows us to create a buffer between what we feel and how we respond rather than how we react. That's where spirituality lives. And of course, the last translation of tshuva is a return. A return to a higher self or a state of equanimity where we feel everything, but we know that it's part of who we are. We can choose how we respond to it. We are not marred. We're not stuck in those feelings. We don't allow ourselves to dwell in them. We observe them and understand them, but also use them to grow. That return is the narrative or the story of our life that we want to move from and with and to become better. 
and of course to return home, to find and have always a way home, an inner home that is safe and restorative. And to know that we can always return to that state. We can always return to that inner home. And to create a space perhaps even on the outside for that home. So in tradition we place the Chanukiah in the window. And traditionally it is placed there where we call Pirsume Nisa. The publicizing of the miracle. We have to publicize the miracles of Chanukah. My teacher, one of my teachers... Rabbi uh, Shlomo Fuchs taught me a long time ago that it serves another purpose. We put them in the window as a rake in that window, a grid designed to not allow ideas that threaten us on the inside, ideas that are too big, ideas that are toxic, ideas that we are afraid of, ideas that are not good. We keep those out. In our interactions with the world, we keep those out because we don't want to have these uh, Hellenistic ideas to filtrate into ourselves. We want to create space for us inside and hold a place that is not toxic, that is supportive, that is challenging, of course, as well. It's not just everything that I think is um, what I know, right? I want to learn. Like we said, if sometimes if I don't like it, ask myself why I don't. But ideas that are too big, ideas that sort of are not there, a little bit like a Jewish dream catcher, if you will, is set at the window to keep those. I don't want to choose Hellenistic. I don't want to choose ideas that are judgmental, toxic. I want to choose light. Last thought. In Hanukkah in Israel, there is a song that we sing. It's called Anu Nosim Lapidim. It was written in the 30s by a person called Aharon Zehev. And it is a very subversive song. That song presents a different alternative to this mythical story of miracles of Hanukkah. This idea that I really like asks us to consider a lot of what we talked about today, which is our motivation, our force. Anu Nosim Lapidim, the lyrics are we carry our torches in darkness, steps of night. The path beneath us, beneath our feet, are bright. Anyone who has a heart, which for light is parched, should lift up his eyes and heart. Join us towards the light. No miracle befell us. No curse of oil found by us. We walked to vale, climbed mountain high, and there springs unearthed of hidden lights of yore. No miracle befell us, no curse of oil found us. We quarried rock until we bled, and then there was light. This idea of a miracle did not happen to us. We didn't just, we didn't find this oil. It repeats itself in this song a few times to perhaps remind us that Sometimes there are no miracles. Perhaps even there, there are no miracles. We quarried rock until we bled is a challenge, right? We worked on it. We created something until there was light, right? The he or there was light that sort of is part of the biblical creation story. This song says perhaps we create ourselves and not everything by God. 
when we say that we went to the mountain, where we found right the, the hidden lights, we really put ourselves and our might in the center of this particular story to say we can do it. We don't wait for miracles. We don't wait for others to do it. We don't always wake for God. We choose our own way. We choose our motivation. Yes, things happen to us in our life, but we have to remind ourselves that a lot of the time we can traverse. We can work hard. We can go forward. I've said this before, you know this, right? I don't believe that God cares about us, but therefore I must. We have to bound together and use this Hanukkah to really light a candle for the world, for ourselves, for our family. We have to use our motivation to move forward and not get stuck. In this light, we use to forge ahead. Thank you for listening. Chag Sameach, Chag Chanukah Sameach. I hope you have a great holiday. I hope you are a light to yourselves and to others. I'm Rabbi Iggy out of the Chuba Center. Thank you again. I'll see you next week.